What is Jesus doing now? And what does that have to do with you and me? Dave, God bless you as you share tonight. It's welcome, Dave. Thank you. It's good to be here tonight. Good to see everybody. I'd like to start with a word of prayer, too. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we know that you love us, and uh, we are your children. You've, you've given us your, your book to tell us how we are to live our lives. And, uh, Father, you have great things in store for us, and you have given us a way. We know that you are the truth of today, and you're the hope for tomorrow. And we can rest on that, assuredly. You are the rock of our salvation. And we thank you, Father. Be with us now, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight's subject is your day in court. How many here have ever been in court? Ah, yeah, I'm sure we could all say that. Um, each one of us is, has been affected that way. What is today? Today is April 15th. That's uh, tax day, isn't it? Uh, that's one reason I could remember that I had this on the 15th was because it's like death and taxes, you don't get out of it. And so here I am. And uh, another thing, interesting thing that happened on today was back in 1912, uh, the RMS Titanic sank in the wee hours of the morning. If you're judging the day starting from midnight and going beyond, it was early this morning when the Titanic sank and I forget how many souls were lost. And when they say that, uh, I don't know if they were really thinking about that too, too heavily, but that's, that's a fact. There were souls lost because people there, probably not everybody knew Jesus as Savior. And the decisions we make in this life will affect us for eternity. And we're all going to have, their probation was over. They had their day in court, 1912. We're still here. We're still alive. We're going to have our day in court. As uh, Dr. Luke said last night, the 2300 years, Jesus has entered into the uh, most holy place of the sanctuary, and uh, he's now having the judgment. And so we're all going to be judged. So we need to know what's going to happen to us. It's been said that it's better for 99 guilty men to go free than for one innocent man to be punished for something that he didn't do. Uh, what do you think? What's your feeling on that? Which do you think is worse? Do you think it's worse for a guilty person to go, to go free unpunished? Or do you think it's worse for an innocent person to be unjustly punished for something that they didn't do to be falsely accused? Nobody wants a, gimmel, a guilty criminal set free. Um, there's a problem with that. Not only uh, is it not justice, but they're also out there. They're free to endanger other peoples and reoffend. Uh, do any, any of us really want to have an innocent person punished for something that he hasn't done? Uh, let me ask you another question. Have any of you ever been accused of doing something that you didn't do? Well, officer, I wasn't speeding. <laughs> uh, Beyond that, though, have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do? Or has somebody ever accused you of saying something that you never said? I'm sure we could probably all raise our hands on that one. If you grew up with brothers or sisters, then I'm sure the answer is bound to be yes. Maybe you were blamed for something that somebody else did, and you ended up taking their punishment. Maybe... Uh, you knew that you were, they knew that you were innocent, uh, but uh, your sense of fairness and justice was uh, mightily offended. I can remember as a child, my father took me down to the corner. That's when they used to have little candy stores on 
several corners close in the neighborhood. People used to sit on their porches, talk to everybody, and life was really nice then. But anyway, took me down there and uh, got me some jujubes. And I'm sure some of you remember what those are. They break your teeth. They really stick. And uh, I took my packet of jujubes, and I went outside, and I started eating them. And the man from the store came out. And he said, he came up to me, and I was like a wee little tyke. I mean, I was maybe six years old or even even uh, less old than that, younger than that. And uh, he said, you know, you should pay for those. And, you know, that was in my father's hands. I mean, he got them for me, and I went out, and I, that really bummed me out. Uh, but he didn't know my father was in the store and was paying for them or going to pay for them. So that really kind of hurt me. That was my first... Um, outside influence other than family because I had a sister that uh, I was accused of doing something that I didn't do and that really bothered me you know it kind of sh yeah it was traumatic well it's it's bad enough to be falsely accused of something but the worst thing is to be punished for something that you didn't do um, in this world we know that there are guilty people who are never punished for their crimes and there are innocent, innocent people who are punished for the things that they never did. Uh, one of the biggest arguments some make against capital punishment is that sometimes innocent people are executed. And of course, once you're executed, that's it. There's no appeal, anything you can do. Your judgment is over. Uh, it's a shame, but justice isn't always perfect. A few years ago, now, you probably all remember this ad nauseum, we have Judge Ito, we have the speeding Bronco in the chase scene, we have the hand that did or didn't fit the glove, we have the prosecutor, we have all those things that went up into that whole O.J. Simpson deal. And uh, I'm sure you got more of that than you ever wanted to know in your whole life as it was going on. Well, O.J. was found innocent, and some people rejoiced that uh, justice had been done. But others were convinced that he was a guilty man and he'd been set free. Well, I have some bad news for all of us. We're all accused of a crime worthy of the death penalty, each and every one of us. And I have even more bad news. Each one of us is guilty as charged. Our day in court is coming. How do I know this? Well, the Bible tells me. It tells me about it in Revelation 14. Revelation 14, 6 and 7 says... Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. This Bible message is for all of us, every nation, tribe, language, group of people. The hour of God's judgment has come. This is the trial of the ages. This is the final drama in the history of the world. This is the great controversy between good and evil. And it will finally be settled, and so will our eternal destiny. Daniel saw this courtroom scene in uh, chapter 7 and verse 13. He says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Can you imagine that scene? Daniel looks up into the heavens, and he sees the Supreme Court of the universe. All of heaven is there, 10,000 times 10,000 beings, which is over 100 million, cherubim, seraphim, and angels. He sees the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father. 
He's seated on his throne. He sees the Son of Man as the Supreme Court of the universe convenes. He says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Can you imagine this majestic, glorious scene? The Bible says that the books were open and the evidence was presented. Why? And what occurs in this judgment? Acts 17.31 says that God, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. We have entered that judgment hour. The destiny of the world is now being decided. What is the reason for this judgment? Why is this judgment before why is there a judgment before Christ comes? Doesn't God know who's saved and who's lost? Well, this is part of the controversy between good and evil. Remember how the Bible says, God created Lucifer. He was perfect in all his ways until iniquity was found in him, and he rebelled against God, and so doing, he led the universe into disobedience. Let's read about this in Isaiah 14, 12-14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. For you have said in your heart, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. As you can see, Lucifer had eye problems. Lucifer wanted to sit on God's throne. He objected, he rejected God's authority and wanted to be his own ruler. He wanted to set his opinions above God's sovereignty. Lucifer claimed that God was unfair and in so doing he managed to lead a third of the angels into this rebellion. Lucifer was then cast down to planet Earth and it's there that he led Adam and Eve into the same sin. They rejected God's love and his authority. Before the whole universe, Lucifer has charged that God is unfair. God's not righteous. God's way is not the best. God's law can't be kept. So now we see that it is God who's on trial. He's on trial before his own universe. The heavenly records reveals, reveal God's justice. Before God comes and wipes, wipes sin out of the universe, his love, his fairness, his justice will be shown to the whole universe. The universe will see God has done everything possible to save every human. You and I are the evidence in the trial. As our lives come before God in judgment, God asks, Could I have done anything more to save Bob, to save Wendell, to save David, to save Susan? Save Susan? Could I have done anything? It will be evident to the universe that if anybody is lost, it's not because God didn't give them a chance or because God didn't love them. It's not because God didn't desire their happiness. Those who are lost will be lost because of their choice. They chose to reject God's love. They chose to reject his justice. They chose to reject his sovereignty and his authority. They wanted to be their own gods. God created the human race 
not as cosmic specks of dust, but as individuals. He gave us free will and a choice. We heard about that the other night. We're not little robots. God created everyone with the capacity to choose, to make rational and moral choices. The Bible says the judgment calls us to account how we've used that power. Whether you're saved or lost is your choice. Your eternal destiny is not in heredity, nor environment, nor anything else other than the choices that you make. The Bible teaches the reality of the judgment. Romans 14:12 says, So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. The Bible says that everyone will give an, an account of himself to God. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 11:9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. The Bible teaches that every human being has a case at the bar of God. We are responsible for our choices, our actions, and our decisions. The judgment reaches deep down into our personal lives. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Therefore, there is nothing secret with God. Our double lives, our double standards, are all exposed before the searchlight of a holy God. You may hide something from your wife, from your husband, from your children, from your friends, but it can't be hidden from God. The Bible says that judgment will break into every secret thing. In your private moments, when it's just you, what are you reading? What are you watching? In your innermost soul, what do you really love? In Hebrews 4.13 it says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In the judgment there is no pretense, no sham. You may look decent on the outside, but if you're doing dishonest business deals and such, remember, all things are naked and open to God. Did you cheat on your taxes? God knows. When we appear before the judgment of God, it is not as we pretend to be, but as we actually are. There is no facade. We're dressed in, we are dressed in the truth for all to see. We are what we are. Once in a packed theater, the movie stopped and the lights came on. An announcement was made. If someone's here with another man's wife, you better leave quickly. Her husband just ran in, front, in the front door with a gun to shoot you. Seventeen couples got up and ran out the door. It's a sad commentary on our times. Psalm 139, verses 1, 3, and 16 says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You are familiar with all my ways. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The Bible says, You searched me, O God. How will I stand in your judgment? Is there greed? Is there lust? Is there selfishness in your heart? How will you stand before God? You say, I can't make it in that judgment. God knows every thought, every word, and deed. Well, in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, it says, But I say to you that for every idle word 
men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The Bible says that even our words are brought into judgment. In the Bible, our words are very important. And if you stop and think about it, did not God bring it all about with just a word? So we are made in his image. What we say affects us and other people. Remember when Moses spoke angry words? He became angry and he smote the rock and uttered angry words against a stubborn people. That's a good thing Moses was there. If it had been me, I'd have probably hit the people. But because of that, he couldn't enter the promised land with Israel. God forgave him, but his angry words cost him dearly. Peter denied his Lord with curse words just when Jesus needed him. Pilate lost his soul. He refused to act on the evidence. His critical words and his washing his hands of the Messiah condemned him to death. What about Judas's tragic words of betrayal? Remember the judgment reveals our thoughts, our actions, and our words. How can you and I pass the judgment? How can we have hope in the judgment? If you and I have to stand before God, there's, there's no way that we can pass. We'll all be lost. Hence, there must be another alternative. What is the encouraging message of the judgment hour? Well, the Bible helps us there when it describes the books of judgment. Malachi 3.16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. The good news of the judgment is everything is recorded, not only our bad deeds, but also our kind, loving words are recorded. So our words of encouragement are spoken to other people are recorded. There are words of hope that are spoken to others. There are words of courage. All the unselfish, all the kind acts and words, they are all recorded. Those words of faith, praying with someone, leading someone to know Jesus, they are all recorded in heaven's books. Now in addition, for the judgment to be fair, the angels must not only record our good deeds and our bad deeds, but also something about our background, our environment, and our difficulties something about the tears of our life. Psalm 56.8 says, Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Every tear shed due to a failed marriage. Every tear shed over your children. Every sorrow you've ever experienced. The loneliness. The discouragement the depression. It's all recorded there. God knows about your difficult circumstances in your life. God knows about your poverty. He knows about your sorrow and your tears. He knows what we really are. Our battles, our joys, our sorrows, all our good and bad deeds. Strip aside the facade and leave only what we really are. 
the authentic us, the genuine us, what comes up before the throne of God's judgment. You ask yourself, how can I pass that judgment? Is it good deeds weighed against bad deeds? No. Nothing is farther from the truth. Praise God. Let's look at God's book of record. At one book in particular, sure, good deeds and bad deeds are recorded. These reflect who we are. They reflect our decisions and our choices. But here's the most important book mentioned in all the Bible. If your name is written in it, it says it stays in. You'll be saved forever. But if your name is not in it, you will be lost forever. The Bible calls it, in Revelation 21:27, the Lamb's Book of Life. This is, this is Jesus' book of those who will live forever. According to the Bible, there are only two classes, the saved and the lost. In today's world, now that we're in probation, there are three classes of people. Some are totally for Christ, some are totally against Christ, and then there's a group who are in the middle, sitting on the fence, and they're undecided. The middle class is going to go either one way or the other, either for or against Christ. The Bible says there will be a final harvest. The final harvest is described in Revelation 22:11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. So as you see, there's only two classes will, that will exist at the final harvest, the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. This large middle class that is not yet decided, they are now making their decision for or against Christ. Think of how many people were on the Titanic and what their thoughts might have been. To follow Jesus or the beast in the last days, there's no other alternative. Either surrender to Christ or surrender to the beast. Either allegiance to God or allegiance to the beast. Psalm 69:28 says, Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Those of us who refuse the claims of Jesus, those of us who reject Christ, the Bible says, will be blotted out of the book of the living. Revelation 3.5 also adds, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Praise God for that. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So, either I appear before God with my lust, my pride, and my greed, showing my sins, and I'm blotted out of God's book forever and forever lost, or I appear and the record of my life is there. And Jesus steps forward and says, this is one of mine. Yes, he failed. He sinned. But Father, my blood was shed to pardon his sin. By faith, he was on me when I died on the cross. Pardon is written after every sin. And you know, I remember many years ago when I first came into the Adventist church, Phil Dunham gave a, gave a sermon on the books. I don't know how many of you remember that, but all our sins, pardoned, forgiven. My sins do not appear, appear before God or before the heavenly beings. I am saved by the atoning blood of the Lamb, saved by Jesus. 
The plain truth is every one of us will appear before the judgment bar of God. None of us is going to get out of it. We all have an appointment there. How can I know I will pass the judgment? When I leave here tonight, how can I be confident that I will pass? How can I leave here knowing when my name comes before God, when the final gavel falls, that I'm saved, that the verdict is forgiven? When the sands in the hourglass of time run out, how can I be sure I will live in heaven and live there with God forever? I know I certainly can't do it on my own. None of us can. In Isaiah 64, 6, the Bible says, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. All my good deeds are not sufficient to pass the judgment. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, There is none righteous. No, not one. Nobody can pass the judgment alone. Nobody can pass unless someone stands for us. God's law condemns us. It not only says, Don't kill, but it also says, Don't even get angry. Anybody here ever get angry? Don't commit adultery. Don't even lust. Are you pure? We can't pass the judgment unless we come to the cross. And we have to come to the cross and accept Jesus' perfect life. God loved you, and he sent his Son to live and die for you. That's the message of John 3.16. In the judgment, he presents his righteousness, and it's in your behalf. Christ steps forward and says in John 5.24 Most assuredly I say to you he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Has anybody ever been to London? Here? Anybody ever been to London? Okay, a couple people. Uh, well, have you ever been to the Royal Mint? And I'm not talking about the candy. Okay, well, in the, in the Royal Mint, uh, they have, uh, that's where they've mint the, the British pound, and it has an extraordinary scale there, is the standard for weighing the British money. Uh, a guy comes in, he places two pieces of paper on the scale. Then, he write, then you look at it, and it just balances out, and it just stays there. They're both the same. Then he takes one piece off, and he writes his name on it with a pencil, puts it back on there and the part the paper that he's put back with the pencil on it will go down in the judgment it's not our good deeds against our bad deeds it's the signature of our guide Jesus Christ that saves us his promise is beautiful as we read in Hebrews 7.25 he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We serve a risen Savior. He lives. All the other ones, dead. Jesus, alive. Can Jesus enable you to pass the judgment? He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. The only ones who won't be saved are those who have not come to God through Christ. Have you failed? Have you cursed, stolen, committed adultery, cheated on your taxes, 
Or maybe you're just a respectable sinner. There's plenty of those. He's able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. When my name comes up before God, there is the catalog of my sins. Jesus says, Father, you sent your spirit to his heart. Father, you loved him. I died for him. I intercede for him. He broke the law, but I kept the law. He deserves death, but I deserve life. Father, credit everything in my account to him. And all the angels will be singing. And guess what? As an advocate, Jesus has never lost a case. Praise God for that. Another man's name comes up. He's lied, he's cheated, he's stolen. But he never came to Jesus. God will ask, did I do everything I could to save him? Yes, I reached out in love and mercy. Was there anything more I could have done? Then God says that you could do nothing more. 1 John 2.1 says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Yes, we have an advocate, the one who represents us and has never lost a case. When life comes to an end and we are on a bed of illness, our bank account won't, won't matter. There's only one thing that matters. There's only one thing that counts in our life, and that is, is my life in Christ's hands? That's the most important decision in my life. And if I don't choose today, I can choose tomorrow and the next day. But I'm not guaranteed I'm going to get tomorrow or the next day. The people on the Titanic, they were having a good time. See what happened to them. Are there sins that you're clinging to that you won't surrender? God can't forgive a sin that we choose to hold on to or won't confess. Simple as that. Only as, as we repent and confess and open our hearts can he save us in this judgment hour. The Bible does say that time is short. We all know that. We can look around us. We're not stupid. We can see what's going on in the world. We know we're down in the toenails. Revelation 22.12 says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. All of our decisions now settle our eternal destiny. This is so important. Steve was raised in a Christian home. He attended a Christian school. His, mo his mother faithfully took him to church. Steve enjoyed spiritual things. As he got older, he drifted away from religion, from his mom, from his dad. The things of his world drew him into them. He began drinking heavily. His mom and dad, why, they continued to pray over him and cried, cried about it. And I'm sure there's a lot of parents here that can relate to that. He rejected Christianity and was out for pleasure. He lived the party life. He had only one goal, and that was to make money. And he probably did well at it. Steve also enjoyed sports, and he became a university swimming instructor. Matter of fact, he enjoyed his work, but he still had a lack of peace in his heart. Something didn't fit. At night, he didn't sleep well. He struggled for or against Christ. There was a battle going on. 
as he was thinking about religion and his childhood and and all that, the prayers of his mother and father were touching his heart. One night, in particular, he just couldn't sleep, so he figured he'd go to the swimming swimming pool and take a couple dives because he really liked to dive and that kind of released some of his tension. So he went into the swimming pool and he climbed up there onto the to the high dive. Uh, as he was up there, he things kept going through his head. You know, there was that fight going on, the great controversy, if you will. He was thinking about judgment, eternity, salvation, what he was doing. As he stood there on the diving board, he stretched out his hands to make a swan dive. The moon behind him formed a silhouette of a cross on the wall. This brought to mind pictures of his childhood home. And he thought, God, you're giving me a sign of your love tonight. So right then and there, he came down from the high diving board and he knelt beside the pool, made a prayer and accepted Jesus as his savior. From that moment, peace flooded his soul and he was happy. He decided, well, since I'm in here, I think I'll go for a swim. So he climbed down the ladder into the pool and halfway down, there was no water. And he went to the bottom of the pool and there was no water there. What Steve hadn't realized was that the cleaning crew had drained the pool so they could go ahead and clean the pool. And if he had dived in the darkness, that would have been it for, for Steve. That was Steve's night of judgment, standing there on that diving board. He was only saved because he decided to listen to Jesus, to listen to the Holy Spirit, and to give his life to Christ. You can make that decision tonight. You can say, Lord, I want to reach up and take your hand. Lord, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than have riches untold. You can have the insurance of, the assurance of salvation tonight. Well, it's an insurance too, actually. Christ is speaking to your heart. He wants you to make your decision for eternity, to be with him. He loves you and he wants you with him forever. Precious Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you, Jesus Christ, are our representative, our substitute, our Savior, our coming King, our great High Priest in heaven above. Thank you that we can put our trust in you tonight and not be afraid of the judgment, not be afraid of the time when our name will come up, as we need you and desire that you would be our lawyer our representative, our substitute. And so thank you, Father, for the good news of the judgment. We sing in our hearts, Oh, happy judgment day. Hear our hearts, read them. And thank you for this opportunity to make a dedication. Bring us back tomorrow safely that we would continue to hear your word. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen.